0: Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems.
1: And now, here are the doctors.
0: All right, John. Well, summer is pushing on. You know, the heat doesn't go away, and but the stock market's staying hot too.
1: Yeah, they're both hot. They are. It is. I like it, it. it is July. Very surprising on the the market, um, you know, continues to do well in hopes of a cure. Right. The vaccine is what's driving it. It is driving it.
0: Yep. Yep. And I think, you know, it's, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we have a down month here or there. I mean, it's, it's not this isn't over. You Know,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not. I mean, the things are starting to, I mean, cases are certainly spiking. Um, right. but you know, the, there is positive news on the health front, definitely, um, definitely. It's going to take a while for that to play out, but uh, having you know some positive news is helping the markets. Bottom line, yeah,
0: mark. there's new treatments, the death rate's way down, and um, yeah, so I if can't, there was a new treatment came out last week that you know, gone through phase two trials, and yep. it looks very, very promising. <clears throat> So, and then you get the vaccine news. So, there's a lot of good stuff
1: happening. Um, yeah, and there's also, there's an election coming up. I don't know if you heard about that.
0: Yeah, I've heard there's an election, but you know, it's, uh, it's kind of in the background It's a little been bit. covered up with all the other news, you know. So, we're going
1: to do a segment pretty soon on election and markets. True, because true. we're starting to get some questions on that. And uh, so, you want to tune yeah. in for that.
0: True, true. Yeah, we will definitely cover that as we always do come mm-hmm. election time. Yep. So, that's... That's a good point, you know. But um but yeah, there is a lot going on we got sports still. We still got, you know, the PGA is yeah. playing the memorial this weekend. We're gonna see Tiger back in action. Tiger's out there, yep. So uh, it's exciting to see some sports happening, but football is it might be to, a little questionable. Starting to
1: dwindle the hopes the anyway. Hopes, we'll yeah, see. Yeah,
0: we'll see. I'm sure hoping things go off there. But hey, we got a great show line up the day, regardless of what's going on in the world. Um, you know, we're gonna talk first about diversification, right?
1: Yeah, this is a, a great discussion of kind of defining what 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 diversification is and why do you want to diversify? And man, I tell you, uh, history is littered with, uh, you know, pitfalls if you don't diversify. So we're going to dive into that really good, uh, kind of a a good topic to start off from an investing standpoint. Yeah,
0: we're going to quench that desire you have just to buy Tesla.
1: That's
0: right. (laughs) It is insane. Yes. Insane out there. But, um, you know, then we're going to pivot, though. We're going to talk about supermarket Psych tricks, John. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, the supermarkets are trying to play tricks on your brain when you go in there, okay, to make you buy more. We got the answers to what those tricks are and how to avoid them. Um, very interesting list here. Right? Yeah. It's a great article here. Um, but by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart SmartVestor Pro with over 25 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice.
1: And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey certified counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 28 years.
0: We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcast are up every Friday afternoon.
1: Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to all the podcasts, and, and you can go back to 2016 and listen to the conversation about the markets, and uh, you know because that was a, obviously a very contentious time as well. But just a lot of historical topics that we've covered. I uh, we encourage people to go back and listen to the some of the COVID-19. I think we did two or three months back in March and April, just some historical data of the market. So a lot of information out there. Go check it out. Also, a Facebook page that we uh, post a prescription of the week um, every single week. I'm not sure whose time it is this week. Maybe yours. Uh, who knows? Could be, it's could always be. good, though. We, we have there. a good time with that.
0: Yep. We do certainly do. So check us out on our website. As John mentioned, you can link to us there or send us your questions. We'd love to um, answer those here on the show. Um, and we're going to start off here with our financial fact of the week.
1: Yeah, this is uh, related to the uh, CARES Act, and uh, if folks remember back in in the April May timeframe, the CARES Act authorized uh, distributions, non taxable distributions of twelve hundred dollars per individual and uh, five hundred dollars per child up to the age of um, seventeen. So, about one hundred and fifty nine million electronic payments were done and checks totaling over $250 billion were paid to the income. And I think one of the things that you don't hear a lot in the media, and we talk about it a little bit, but the amount of stimulus that the government has put into the economy is another reason why the markets have done well. That's... There's, there's a flow of capital, and the government is basically backing up and giving money into pockets of people to go spend. So that's another reason. But uh, those are some of the numbers, $250 billion into people's pockets. And then there's the business piece of this we didn't even talk about. Right. Stimulus has been a big, big piece of this uh, positive. Huge,
0: huge amount of stimulus, and that has really shored up the markets and the economy and, you know, has helped the recovery quite a bit. Um, and the CARES Act is interesting because you keep running into more provisions – that you kind of forgot about that are there like this week i ran into a provision um for a client that was wanting to t- take some money out temporarily to to buy a house and uh you know there's a hundred thousand dollars you can withdraw and you can have it out for up to three years and pay it back yeah. so um you know out of your ira and that's part of the cares act so there, there there's a lot of minute provisions there and you might think about that you know whenever you're um thinking about making some financial move to make sure there's not some provision for this year that can benefit you um, through the CARES Act. And that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is diversification. John, what is it? How to apply it? Um, Why is it important?
1: Yeah, it's one of those industry buzzwords, and, um, you know, it can be intimidating for some folks, and, um, you know, some people think you have to have a Ph.D. to understand it. But if you pause and you think about the first part of that word, diverse, uh, it's pretty clear what we're talking about. Um, you know, it's uh, you know when you start looking at diversification, um, it's it's something that most people do use, and we're going to define what that is. And basically, it's a strategy of spreading your money into different kinds of investments. Um, and basically, what it does is it doesn't prevent losses, but it does reduce risk and volatility um, while still allowing your money to grow. And it's it's one of the most basic principles in investing. So you've probably heard the old saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket. In other words, you don't want to put all your, you know, money into one investment because if it fails, you'll lose everything. and, and we can expand that out. You don't want to put it in one sector. If you go back to the late 90s, the tech bubble a lot of people just right. climbed and pounded into into technology, and then oh by the way, the Nasdaq took over 13 years to recover. So you know, it's not only we're not only talking about just one stock, but also sectors as well can be very very difficult. So instead of chasing quick gains on a single stock, you know, you're taking a more balanced approach um, to building wealth. And if you look historically, being diversified has been a great strategy. It's worked historically. Uh, it's not as uh, as volatile as individual stocks, and certainly not as risky either.
0: That's right. And to dig a little deeper <clears throat> into that question of why is diversification important, um, you know, let's do that. And I mean, it obviously it's a it's a technique for reducing risk, right? But it also it also reduces your probability of not having a nice gain,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? I mean, so there's another side to that. So it's important for more than one reason, you know on the risk side i mean it's it's pretty obvious but it does help reduce risk because i mean if you only have one stock john then you know good grief i mean we can't think of better examples than this year Of how one stock can burn you. Yeah. Right? I mean, look at all the stocks that have just gone under here, you know, this year from all the retail stocks. Mm -hmm. Big retailers, you know, Macy's and JCPenney and others that have declared bankruptcy just this year. Um, And so you can't have all your eggs in one basket, you know. Even great stocks, you know, like General Electric – can go through major, major, oh, yeah. you know, problems.
1: Yeah, last two decades, the GE has not returned anything to shareholders. So exactly. that used to be the most admired company exactly. in the world. And, you know, so.
0: if you look at big companies and you look back at their history, you know, there, there, are, there are, are many, many of them that have gone through bankruptcy. And if you're a shareholder during that time, you end up with zero. Pretty pretty much, you know. But you think of Delta, you think of all the airline stocks. I think all of the major airline stocks have gone bankrupt over the last thirty years mm-hmm. at some point. And so, so you got to diversify. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. Um, you want to be in a lot of different asset classes, um, and you want to give yourself the best chance of your portfolio growing along with the market and doing better. You know, whenever whenever the market isn't doing well. Um, And that's what diversification is all about.
1: Yeah. So diversification, you know, you hear about people talking about that and, you know, there's different ways to diversify. You know, you look at, uh, you know, mutual funds, single stocks, bonds, ETFs, uh, real estate. And, you know, if you're a homeowner, then you can already consider yourself somewhat diversified, right? You don't have all your assets in... In the stock market, you have some real estate. So owning a home is a great way to build some equity outside of a traditional investment portfolio. A lot of people don't view it that way, but when you start doing your net worth, you know, you got some real estate. Um, Typically, it increases in value, and as you pay off the mortgage, you're going to have, you know, paid for a house. So, you know, there are are tons of, there are different ways to diversify, but we're going to specifically focus really on, you know, how do you diversify within the stock market? Yeah, that's right.
0: You know, and there's there's uh, a lot of ways to do it, but, you know, we really focus and we, you know, experts, most experts fo- tell you to focus on asset classes, um, you know, and to buy more than just individual stocks or bonds, um, you know, and mutual funds are really the best way to do that. Mutual funds or ETFs where you're owning thousands of stocks, not just a few stocks or not even a dozen stocks. And then you can diversify, uh, you know, among asset classes as well, which we'll go into here in a minute.
1: Yeah, so the mutual funds, why, why do we recommend mutual funds? You know, single stocks, um, you know, are are they're risky. They're riskier. Now, you like you said, you can have a higher upside, but you can have also have lower downside as well. So when you buy a mutual fund, it's a grouping of stocks. And um, so mutual funds are already naturally diversified. It's like buying a variety pack of your favorite candy. Yeah, uh, so you get a little mix of everything, and um, you know, bonds are another way to diversify. Uh, certainly the returns historically have been lower, uh, but so is the risk and the volatility. So as you get into retirement, we do see a lot of people wanting to add bonds. Um, you know, when you do distributions um, from your account and the markets are down, if you have some bonds, you can do some some distribution from that side of it. So um, we're going to talk about, you know, kind of three steps on how you diversify your investment portfolio and kind of go into some details.
0: That's right. That's right. And we really, you know, we really recommend that you focus on asset classes and you have um, seven to eight different asset classes, maybe even twelve, depending on fixed income, in your portfolio. And mutual funds are really the way to do that.
1: Yeah, so mm-hmm. we're going to do. We're going to talk about three steps. And this first one is interesting: is is choosing your account. Now, when we talk about diversification, most of the time we're talking about investments. This is actually um, tax diversification. A lot of people don't think about that, but the best way to actually get started um, on tax diversification is 401k or 403b, um, you know, and see what kind of mutual funds you have. So basically what you're doing is you're putting money into a workplace retirement plan. Uh, they give you a tax break today. It can be automated through your payroll deduction. And uh, most of the time, employer offers a match. So, but when you use that in the future, you're going to be paying tax on it. So the the next place you go after the match is a Roth IRA. And, and Roth IRAs, you're paying tax today, but you pay no taxes in the future. So if you can get a million dollars in a Roth IRA, zero taxes. If you get a million dollars in a 401k, who knows what the tax bill is going to be, right? It's going to There's going to be something out there. Whether, That's right. Whatever Congress Huge. says, tax brackets <laughs> are... Um, So choosing the type of account to save in tax diversification is a piece of it, but also, you know, know, investing in international and small cap stocks as well is another way to diversify.
0: That's right. Within the fund, you know, within the portfolio, the, the account that you choose, whatever vehicle you choose, you have to figure out what to put inside of it you know it's like going to the grocery store you got to figure out what to put in your grocery bag you know whenever you for you leave and it's the same thing here with investments you got to pick the right investments and as we mentioned you know we really recommend you use asset classes and that you have 8 to 10 different asset classes in your portfolio maybe even 12 um, we like to see small stocks and large stocks we like to see international and US we like to see value and and growth and profitability, all of those are very important, academically defined asset classes that need to be in your portfolio, because, you know, John, I mean, there can be times when the market does horrible. I mean, if you mm-hmm. look back from 2000 through 2009, there was a 10 year period where the S&P 500 lost around 1% per year Mm -hmm. um, for an entire 10-year period. And if you had not been diversified, if you'd just been in large U.S. stocks, you'd be stuck in that environment. And if that was 10 years before retirement, that would be a disaster for you.
1: Or if you're in retirement pulling money out, that's the other piece. That's
0: probably a bigger disaster. So that's why you got to have many many asset classes in your portfolio. If you'd had 8 to 10 different asset classes, it would have been a totally different picture. You wouldn't have suffered, you know, very much over that time period. You would have had a decent return that more than would have covered with your withdrawals.
1: Yeah, so the ways to diversify, you know, the the tax type, the di- different type of accounts, then also the asset classes. And then finally, do some rebalancing. And, and basically what this is doing is when something does well, uh, you can sell a piece of it and put it into – something that has underperformed and you know the key for successful investing really is to be consistent i mean you've got to ride out the downturns in the market if you're putting money in view it as an opportunity to buy more shares you got to stay focused on the long haul and and whatever you do don't withdraw or, or go to cash i mean we we don't see people timing the markets Well, if you go back and look at all the industry data, people are are pulling money out when the markets are going down um, and they're selling low and then they're putting it in at the top of the markets and they're buying high. That's exactly the opposite of what you want to do. So rebalancing is another way to do that. Be diversified. If you don't understand what that is, you can certainly reach out to us. We'll uh, we'll help you with that. We're big believers in education and uh, the more you understand and know, the better you're going to feel.
0: Absolutely. All right. Great topic. And that leads us up here to our question
1: of the week. Yeah, this is a question I think Matthew had with one of his um, his clients, and it's, uh, should I separate my business accounts uh, and my personal um, accounts as well? So if you have a side business or you're self-employed, you should absolutely have two sets of books. You got Absolutely. You got to know what your profit is, right? If you have everything yeah. mingled together
0: cannot commingle your personal assets with your business. And
1: we do see people that do that. And it's like the first step is is all right, you gotta break this apart. You gotta work with the CPA. You got to track it, got to understand, you know, the drivers of your business. And the only way to do that is to keep it separate.
0: I would go a step further and say the majority (laughs) of sole proprietors commingle their Mm -hmm. personal assets in their business. And you know that is a huge mistake. You like John said, you have no idea whether your business is successful or not if you're mixing in, you know, your income and your expenses from your personal assets, so in your life with your business. So you got to keep that separate. And you need to do it from tax standpoint. You need to do it from a business standpoint, from a planning standpoint. So, you know, get QuickBooks, get some kind of software, you know, start keeping track of your business separately if you do have it. That's a great question of the week. And that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is um avoiding the supermarket psych tricks john interesting they're out here to get you yeah <laughs> this is an article from listonic um very recently um but anyway you know supermarkets john yeah i mean they're just trying to give you the best deals save you lots of money yeah they want what's best for you right
1: yeah right yeah
0: wrong i mean you know all day they can give you what seems to be great discounts from time to time they're still big businesses right and they're trying to you know pad their bottom line and their top priority is to get us to spend as much money as possible using sneaky psychological supermarket they tricks do that now Come hey on. that's what they say here you know environmental psychologist here um you know wrote a book called uh, what women want the science of female shopping hmm. um Yeah, in this this book, you know, they claim that up to 50% of our shopping carts are things that we never intended to buy in the first place. You know, we've all been there. I mean, you know, you only go to the supermarket for milk and bread, but you come out with enough to feed a small family for a week, right? (laughs) I mean, you know, so how does that happen, though? I mean, well, there's a whole arsenal of supermarket tricks out there that grocery stores use to make us— Spend as much money as possible when we're in the store.
1: Yeah, it's like going to um, Sam's or Costco and getting a three-pound, you know, yeah. container of mustard. Yeah, exactly. That's not going to last.
0: Yeah, you? right. I mean, why do they <laughs> sell you that much?
1: Well, yeah, there's a reason. for That's it. right. So the the supermarket <clears throat> trick number one is is taking it slow. And and we all love music, right? Well, grocery stores love it too. And um, you know, a lot of supermarkets play easy listening music or classical music. That's because they want to slow your pulse down, relax you, make your shop slower. And uh, Because shopping slower makes you spend more. Um, there was a study done uh, about this behavior, and uh, they found that the grocery stores that played slow music increased their sales by nearly 40%. Wow. That's interesting.
0: That's huge, isn't it?
1: Yeah, after 23 <clears throat> minutes, shoppers uh, make choices with their emotional part of their brain instead of logical, and after 40 minutes, your brain just shuts down. <laughs> you're, not, you're not thinking anymore, and you're this, just piling this stuff in your car. You're piling
0: <laughs> stuff in, man. They keep in their 40 minutes. They got you right where they want you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this proves that the longer you stay in grocery stores, you know, the more impulse buys that you make um, and unnecessary purchases. So... You know, the music isn't only a trick. I mean, have you ever wondered why there there are rarely any windows in grocery stores? I mean, when was the last time you saw a clock in a grocery store, mm, right? Never. I mean, all of these supermarket tricks are deliberately designed to make you lose track of time, take longer, um, you know, to do your shopping and spend more of your money. That's the bottom line. Um, so the solution is, you know, get your groove on. You know, the quicker that you are, you know, at shopping, the, the cheaper it's going to be for you. So, you know, why not put on some headphones, listen to some, some of your favorite upbeat music, you know, have a plan when you go in the store and, you know, go through it quickly.
1: How about in, you know, the COVID-19 world we live in, why don't you pick up, you get your groceries delivered and you pick them up, right? The Instacart. That's, that's you know, even things. better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no that's doubt. That's another way to do it. Uh, yeah. Or kind just of control it.
0: Yeah, just go pick it up. Yeah. You know, just order ahead of time. Order. Right. Yeah, the right. Walmart thing. That's yep. <clears throat> It's a really good plan. Yeah, so number two here on the list, though, <clears throat> is the not-so-special special offers. <laughs> you know, we've all seen these. I mean, if you do a little bit of math, I mean, those big tantalizing signs, stickers that are there to dupe you into thinking that this particular offer is the best, even those nice big displays in the aisles, you know, aren't always items that, that are on sale at all. You know, I mean, they're made to look like an offer, but they're actually at full price. Um, you know, shockingly, you know, research that was done by a company called Which, um, you know, UK Consumer Association found that most offers made little or no savings whatsoever. Ten percent of multi-buy offers in the supermarkets were actually more expensive than if you bought singularly. Mm-hmm. If you bought a single pack, um, then than in the offer. Um, so, how do grocery stores get away with this? Well, it, it's easy. You know, 37% of consumers will automatically assume that multi-buys are cheaper, and therefore they don't check the price per unit. Um, so, when you remember <clears throat> that you're, you know, stop. When you when you remember that and you stop making those those uh, you know unlogical choices. Um, you know, unfortunately, after 23 minutes, that's what they say you do. Yeah. You know, you just stop just You just stop using your brain. You just buy the bigger things.
1: It's that and price per unit is the key. That you is know, the that's, key. If you can find that. That is the you key. Can, you so can the find s- the answer.
0: Solutions that, to buy only what you need. Use a calculator. Give your brain a rest. Um, use the calculator. Figure out, you know, price per unit and only buy what you need.
1: Yeah. And then number three here is keeping it on the eye level. And, um, you know, you have lovely eyes. Now, yeah, I'm not talking yeah, about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The supermarket thing. Supermarket things. You have so. lovely yeah, eyes. So and they put the expensive stuff. What they do? They 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 put it. Um, you know, right where eye level is, and maybe it's not the most expensive, but it's the most profitable. There you go. And uh, the cheapest <clears throat> items are often placed on the bottom shelves or the stoop level, as it's called, and they're placed there because it's more effort to look down. And it's certainly more uncomfortable to bend down to pick up the product. So, you know, the things that they put at eye level are the most profitable in the grocery store. So got to be careful.
0: Yeah, it turns out they do the same thing for children. They, um, they At the stoop level, that's eye level for children. They they put children's items, brightly colored things, things yeah. that appeal to kids. They put it right there at eye level for kids. Um, so this means it's easier for children to spot them and you know, ask their parents to buy them. So watch out for all these tricks. Yeah, the solution is, you know, take a good look around. Always, you know, have a good look around the entire shelf. You know, um, the things that are near the bottom tend to be the cheapest, often the best deals. So you don't want to stop at eye level. You want to really, per, per, you know, purview the item, you know, around everything around where you're at to make sure you're getting the best deal. And then do the math, as we mentioned before. Number four here, uh, trick, John, is called Hunger Games. You know, <laughs> it's not just slowing us down and drawing our attention to the things at eye level that are a huge part of their tricks, but they also want to make you feel hungry. Mm. Why? Because when you're hungry, you buy more. So when you walk through the store and you smell freshly baked bread or that, you know, succulent rotisserie chicken, mm-hmm. you know, it's fairly straightforward. I mean, if you're hungry, you're going to buy more food, and that seems perfectly logical, right? Well, did you know being hungry also affects your general decision-making ability? Mm. Yeah, there was a study at the University of Southern California that found that, the, that hunger affects our shopping decisions, even on non-food items. Um, these studies showed that hungry shoppers um, not only bought unnecessary items on impulse, but they also would buy more of what they need. The professor mentions that the desire to get food may generally plant the idea of getting stuff in your mind, which increases the likelihood that you'll also be attracted to other products. that won't satisfy your physical hunger, um, but, you know. So it's just this internal message that says, I want food. I simply want. I yeah. want to buy stuff.
1: All this talk of food's making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> but the solution is, you know, to, to the hunger is is eat before you go, right? Exactly. You know, yes, I mean, right. even if it's just mm. a snack, uh, it can make a difference and, and reduce that craving mm. when you get in there. And there was an interesting study by Cornell that uh, found that shoppers who ate an apple – before they shopped bought 25% more fruit and vegetables than those who ate a
0: cookie. <laughs> so eat, eat good
1: food, don't eat don't, good eat, food, don't right? eat
0: junk food or you go buy junk food.
1: Yeah, so make sure you have the the healthy snacks that you're eating before you go in there. That's interesting. That is yeah. really interesting. Yeah, no kidding.
0: All right, next one here is sizable shopping carts. Yeah, have you ever felt like you're shrinking when you go in the supermarket? Yeah, I mean, the shopping carts nowadays, they just get bigger and bigger. I mean, now, you know, pretty soon it'll be the size of a of a pickup truck, you know, <laughs> whenever you go in there to get a shopping cart. You know, so it's not you going crazy. Yes, the shopping carts are getting larger. Why? Because it's another supermarket trick. Yeah, it's a marketing consultants say that, <clears throat> you know, um, if you give shopping carts that are double the size as usual, those bigger shopping carts bought 40% more than the ones with smaller shopping carts. Wow. Yeah, I mean, this is because your cart now looks emptier, meaning that you're more likely to fill it up with those impulse buys and treats. So, yeah, the obvious solution is use a basket. I mean, <clears throat> if you think you, you know, that you can put all your stuff in a basket, then use a basket. Don't use a shopping cart. Um, yeah, these larger shopping carts are just tricks, you know, and so... Um, you know, just just don't use them. You know, or get have a small. We a, get a basket. Have, have a list is really the answer too.
1: Yeah, they they do have those small small ones, which is usually what we try to get. At least I do when I go in. But exactly. um, number six here is paying for preparation and and cooking. Obviously, is hard work. Some people enjoy it. Some people don't. But um, that's why supermarkets offer a whole range of uh, fresh prepared food um, simply because they want to make our lives easier, right? Well, no, it's five <laughs> times more expensive than their unprepared equivalent. Weight, so um, you know it's also not as healthy what you're buying in there that's already pre-prepared. So if you're trying to save, you know, some money, um, just buy the the unprepared fruit and vegetables and meat and and uh, cook it on your own. Um, I, we do like sometimes buying pre-prepared food just because it's easier. Right. You know, throw it in the uh, microwave or the oven and and cook it up. But it's definitely more expensive.
0: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. It is easier. But, yeah, they they just say don't do it. Five times more expensive. I didn't realize that much more expensive. Mm. Yeah, and then the last one here, John, is the ever-changing labyrinth. You know, (laughs) can't say that word, but you know what I'm saying. Labyrinth. Labyrinth, exactly. I mean, it's a maze in there, right? I mean, and it changes all the time. I mean, last week the baked beans were on aisle nine. You were sure of it. Um, but you know, that was only good for a few weeks. Now it's on, I'll you know, now nine has tea and coffee and the baked beans are on aisle seven. So why, why, why would they change things up in the grocery store and the layout, you know, that you knew so well and made it so easy for you? Well, supermarkets do this on purpose? Yes, that is the answer. They do it on purpose. And you know, I mean, sure, there's some things that don't change, like the staples, but they move things around, you know, to make you spend more time in the store.
1: If they can keep you there for more than forty minutes, that's it. That's the game, <laughs> the man. They want brain to keep, shuts down. keep
0: you guessing, right? So they move stuff around, and they also want you to run into new items along the way. So they move you around so you got you see different stuff in the store when you go in there. And, you know, and then there's, of course, the milk and egg and and butter and bread and stuff that's always in the back corner of the store. So they make you walk the entire length of the supermarket to get to them. So, again, you have to see more stuff along the way and you have to smell the fresh Mm -hmm. cookies and you have to smell the bread on your way to get those in the back of the store. These are all tricks, right? I mean, they just put it out of reach and they try to make it hard so you spend more time in the store. So the solution is to use a list. And read the signs in the store, right? That's the best way to tackle some of these is just to use a shopping list. Know exactly what you're going for. Don't stop for anything else. um, And then read the signs so you can get there quickly because they do move it around. This will help keep you focused on your way. Avoid some of these uh, supermarket tricks, You know, and if there's an offer on the yogurt, yes, it's on the shopping list, fine, get it. Otherwise, no, don't get it. I mean, these psychological supermarket tricks are good for business, but, you know, they're not good for your pocketbook. Um, And you may avoid them now, but, you know, be sure the grocery stores are always looking for new ways to trick you into spending. So you got to constantly be, you know, on your toes when you go into the supermarket. That's the moral of the story here. So. Interesting list of yeah, tricks. Yeah, very good. I like there it. There you go. All right, and that leads us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription
1: of the week. Yeah. So one of our um, mm-hmm. joys of our job, and we have a number of them, but is helping people retire. And so the the prescription is is you got to figure out what your budget is going to be in retirement, and once you figure that out, you can match that to a a after tax uh, calculation from your retirement plan, and that's just looking at Social Security pension and your investments. And when those two numbers match, um, you can retire with confidence, right? Yeah. Yep. But that budget piece of it is so critical. You've got to have that number. You've got to understand, hey, I need five grand a month or six grand or four whatever the number is. Um, and once you can match that with your with your assets and your income, then go for it.
0: And it's got to be a real budget. I'll add that. Yep. You know, I mean, a lot of people just make a list of of things they know they spend money on their rent, food, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And they come up with a nice number. But the reality is you you spend what you don't save. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, the way to, to put a sanity check on that is to look at what's deposited in your checking account every single month from your paycheck and all those sources and then back out what you save from that. And what you don't save, you're spending. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're not coming up with that number when you make your list and you make your budget, then yeah. you're missing something.
1: You're probably not. You're probably most, not. So we
0: people, yeah. we have to do that sanity check every time we sit down with somebody, and mm-hmm. it's a, usually a bigger, a lot bigger number. It is. Yeah. So, all right, great prescription of the week, and that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week for more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, MoneyMD.net. Then reach out to us. and give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation
1: for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.